Let us pray. Blessed Savior, at this hour you hung upon the cross, stretching out your loving arms. Grant that all the peoples of the earth may look to you and be saved for your tender mercy's sake. Amen. Good Friday. If you ever thought that it's an odd name, you're not alone. The name is actually an old English word that's been brought into our modern English. It's actually not Good Friday, it's Good Friday, meaning God Friday. That comes into the modern English as good. But of course, it is good, nevertheless. Nevertheless, while this is an extremely dark day in human history, in one sense, the result of the day was an extreme good for the whole human race. Who for us and our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death. As we look at the readings today, we see these lines from the Creed play out. When we look at the readings, we also see three things that I'd like to highlight for us. Number one, God the Father's extreme provision for us. Number two, God the Son's extreme obedience and humility. And number three, God the Holy Spirit's extreme charity. So let's look for those three things. God the Father's extreme provision, God the Son's extreme obedience and humility, and God the Holy Spirit's extreme charity. For us and our salvation, He was crucified. The Father's provision. To provide and to protect, these are the two most basic duties of any father. They're not exclusive to fathers, of course. There's many other people who share them. And yet, they're particular to fathers. Through Jesus, God reveals His divine fatherly relationship to His disciples when He teaches the Lord's Prayer. Recall Luke 11.2. I'm sure you all know it. The beginning to the Lord's Prayer starts out, when you pray, say, Our Father. It's for this reason that we're told in Psalm 146, verse 9, that the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. God particularly steps in for the widow and the fatherless to provide and protect because He is a father. He is a good father. Later on in that same chapter in Luke's Gospel, we read Jesus talking about earthly fathers compared to His heavenly Father. And He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Indeed, even warped by sin, 
as we are. We understand what a good father is. We understand that he protects and provides for his family and his children. But God's self-revealing of this is more than just to make him relatable. It's actually redemptive. For where our first father, Adam, failed, God provided. Where our first father, Adam, failed, God provided. Both the Genesis 22 reading and the Isaiah 52 and 53 passages are about the provision of God, if you look at them. In the Genesis 22 reading, God provides a ram to Abraham. And in Isaiah 52, He provides a suffering servant to His people. In both, He provides a sacrifice. The principle is actually very simple, yet the details are complex. Since the time of Adam and Eve, since our first father and mother, creation and subsequently first sin, their first sin, all of their sons and daughters, all of us, you and I, have owed God an immense debt. What is that debt? The debt of obedience and a right heart. It's not for rhetorical flourish that Jesus summarizes the law with these words. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Matthew 22:37. All the commandments can be summed up with that. Of course, Jesus goes on to say, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But even that is a derivative of the first part. But to love is more than just an emotion, right? To love, as the Book of Common Prayer says in the Holy Matrimony Service, is to cherish, to honor, to obey. And there's not a man or woman who has done that perfectly, without exception, except for Jesus Christ. The Son's extreme obedience and humility are God the Father's provision, but they're also the Son's choice. When we look at Jesus, we see that extreme obedience and extreme humility, who for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. Again, from the Creed. Often we forget that God chose to become man. Jesus Christ, incarnate, is both the provision of the Father, but the choice of the Son. When Jesus, God's Word, His living Word, chose to dwell among us, to leave the throne room, he knew that the passion and the cross lie ahead as his final destination. He was not tricked into it. He was not forced to do it by the Father or the Holy Spirit. It's not like the two other divine persons ganged up on him and said, you're going to do this. But God the Father provided and Jesus the Son chose to obey the plan. This is what that great hymn in Philippians chapter 2 means when it proclaims, He, Jesus, emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why was this necessary? Why did he have to choose it? Well, for our sake he was crucified, the creed says, under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. But why? Why must he suffer death for us? Well, remember Adam and Eve's debt of love and obedience and a right heart? Sinful humans like to think that we can atone. We think that we can pay for our own sins in rebellion against God by being better or by choosing His will this time. This time I'll choose His will. This time I'll obey Him. But the truth is that we can never pay the debt. It's simply a matter of logic when you think about it. If you owe God 100% of your love and obedience, even if you could start being 100% loving and obedient tomorrow or this minute, and you can't, you could never get back to that 100%, could you? Because you can't go back in time. We owe God 100%. And so even if we were to live a perfect life from this time on, we would still owe that debt. The Bible calls that 100% our justice or our righteousness, along with a just and righteous heart behind it. And we all lack it. We are unrighteous. We began the service with that very admission, didn't we? Remember the acclamation for today from Isaiah 53.6? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Because of our lack of righteousness, because of our sin, God cannot be in relationship with us because he is pure and he is righteous and we are not. As Psalm 5 puts it, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. At the same time, God's love was for us in that while we were unrighteous, while we were still sinners, he died for us. God could have just destroyed us. He had every right to. Throughout the Old Testament, God comes to the brink of destroying humanity for our rebellion but he does not. Why? Why not? Well, does a father destroy his own children? Does a father desire to destroy his own children? Simply no. So instead, God gave us a covenant, and he gave us the law, and he gave us prophets and a sacrificial system, knowing full well that his people would not keep the law, would violate the covenant, and would kill his prophets. But all of it he still gave us to foreshadow the greatest act of love in keeping with God's justice and in keeping with God's love. He gave us that great gift. For our sake, Jesus offered himself to become a man, to maintain perfect obedience without sin, and then die for mankind. Our reading from Hebrews speaks of this. If you have your, your insert, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, the beginning of the epistle, verses 1 through 5. It's on page 7 in your handout or in your Bibles. 
chapter 10, verse 1 of Hebrews. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased, would not, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. A burnt, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. You see, for us and for our salvation, God in the person of Jesus became man to become that servant as well as that sacrifice that was necessary. Look at how the prophet Isaiah calls the suffering servant a servant in relation to Jesus. Our first reading today was not Genesis, but was from Isaiah 52. And I want to draw your attention there to Isaiah 52, verses 13 and 14. Behold, says the prophet, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And many were astonished at you, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond the children of mankind. But see also that Isaiah is clear that this servant will be a sacrifice. Look later in the reading, chapter 53, the second half of verse 6. It's there at the top of the page. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And then later on in the reading, verse 10, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Do you see God the Father's provision and God the Son's obedience and humility in these texts? From the beginning, from before Christ became incarnate, this was the plan. And where is the Holy Spirit in all this, you might be asking yourself. Well, he's there too. The third person of the Trinity is deeply involved with our salvation, after all. We know that the Holy Spirit was the person of God at the conception of Jesus as man. Do you remember? 
when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, what does he tell her? That the Spirit of the Lord will overshadow her and she will conceive. There's the work of the Holy Spirit in the Incarnation. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is the person of the Trinity that brings Jesus' death to us in a real way, right? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. We know that. But when we're baptized as Christians, we're baptized into Christ's death. As St. Paul says in Romans 6, all Christians must be baptized into Christ's death. What does that mean? Well, it's the Holy Spirit who conveys the merits of Jesus' death to us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus' death efficacious for us as individuals. Again, I draw your attention to Hebrews chapter 10, this time verses 15 through 19. In your inserts, this is on page 8. Verse 15 of Hebrews 10. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Consider that. Through the Holy Spirit, God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ's sacrifice brought to us in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. What extreme love it must have taken for the Holy Spirit to convey this death to us. Did you ever stop and think about that for a moment? Yes, what extreme love it was that Jesus died on the cross for us, but what extreme love it's also for us that the Father provided that and that the Holy Spirit conveys that to us. For the Holy Spirit, of course, is traditionally thought to be the person of God that comes out of the love of the Father for the Son. And so it's that person of love that conveys this grace to you and I. Sinners, people that are rebellious, unrighteous children that deserved death, but instead are given life. What extreme charity the Holy Spirit has for us to make Christ's death efficacious to us and to bring salvation and healing. When we read of Jesus' death, it's ugly. But as Christians, our reaction should be one of amazement. For in it we see the entire Trinity, God at work to forgive and to reconcile His family. Nothing less than that. This forgiveness and reconciliation took the Father's extreme provision the Son's extreme obedience and humility, and the Holy Spirit's extreme charity. There was no other way. Perhaps in such light, we can better understand the words of today's collect 
that we read earlier, where we read, Almighty God, behold, this your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and given into the hands of sinners and to suffer death upon the cross. Indeed, we made his family. So when people ask you, why is your faith so important to you? Or, why do you bow your head at the name of Jesus in reverence instead of using it as a cuss word? Or, why do you get so obsessed with the cross as more than a symbol, but something to be adored and venerated? Tell them. If people see your religion as extreme and wonder at it, and make comments about it, perhaps even mock it or ridicule it, tell them, my obedience and love as a Christian is nothing. It is nothing compared to the extreme provision, obedience, and love that God has for me and for you. This extreme love, this extreme forgiveness, this extreme death was to redeem me and can be there to redeem you as part of God's very own family. Do you want to know more about it? Who for us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.